This is iFanboy Booksplode Hulk Future Imperfect. Fanboy Booksplode. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Lanigan. What's up? And we're talking about Hulk Future Imperfect. And this show is brought to you by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy who unlocked this show, which is our every other month review show in which Josh and I are some other combination of people review a collected edition, a graphic novel, an OGN, something beyond the normal single issue that we would normally talk about on the Pick of the Week show. And so there'll be some spoilers for this comic from 1993. If you're worried about that kind of, I'm sorry, 1992 even, wow, an extra year of uh, of time. The reason why Josh and I are talking about this is because over the last two years at Marvel, there's been two prequel miniseries for this story: uh, Maestro War and Pax in 2021 and Maestro World War in this year, which just ended a few weeks ago in 2022. And we figured it would be nice to sort of cap off the story with the third part, which was also the first part. Uh, which is Hulk Future Imperfect, which was a two-issue prestige miniseries that came out in 92. And it was, I think it's like 100 pages total, something like that. It's close like to that. that. I think that, yeah, I felt like they were each about 50 pages. Yeah. And I, re- I read this originally when it came out, which is strange because I wasn't a Peter David Hulk reader, which is, remains one of my big holes in my comic reading life I... is that, that run. Did you get it because it was George Perez? I got it because it was George Perez. And you were like um, 14, at the time, who was probably my favorite artist. And I remember taking the first issue to a co- convention and getting George to sign it. And then Peter David was doing like an in store appearance somewhere. And I went to that and I gave him the issue. And he went, Ooh, George signed it. Like he was excited. Right. So that's my, my only really enduring memory of this miniseries. Like it was reading it here was basically reading it for the first time again because it's been since we were in what freshman in high school when this came out i just uh had like a moment of uh remembering what it was like to be a different kind of fan <laughs> in a different time and so like you, you you had the book you had a guy sign it you held on to it you went to another place and like that was that it just reminds me of that like first year i went to comic-con i want to say in 2000 you know yeah. and i just had i had a pleasant little memory what's interesting to me is that i I'm, I missed Peter David uh, mm-hmm. pretty much in general from the time that I was reading were not like, I, you know, during the, the Hulk and Aquaman stuff, I wasn't reading comics really, or it was, you know, too late in the thing. Cause I, I didn't, I read when I was, you know, like late eighties, yeah. you know, I was out before the boom or the crash. And then I didn't come back until the late nineties. You skipped the whole early to mid nineties period. So you missed all yes. that. Yeah. So you know, I was aware of it, but it was like at that point, like you know, somebody's story when they say, "Oh, he did a long run," like it's a long run, and I was like, "That's too much." Just like <laughs> literally for a long time, it, it was too much money, and yeah. then after that, it became too much time, and then you know, over over the two thousands, you know, we got glimpses of Peter David. He'd do things here and there. He did a really wonderful run on X Factor and Multiple Man. Yep, and you know, I liked it a lot, but it wasn't like. Oh my god! I got to track all this stuff down. I never had that feeling, and 
you know, we've been seeing him at some point he had he got ill, he had a stroke. It was something it was seem it seemed like, oh, he's done now. And it turns out not to be the case at all. And I, I God, I love that, you know, Phoenix from the Ashes kind of story about it is that he's like, No, no, I've I've still got every bit of it that I used to have. Yeah, I mean that's what we said with these two most recent stories. I mean yeah. there's at least one pick of the week honor amongst mm-hmm. the those two miniseries. And we were we've talked about almost every issue yeah. because they were incredibly fun books. We kept saying he still got it. And I was a big 90s Peter David fan between uh, I mean, of the stuff I read, between Aquaman, Supergirl, Young Justice, and then later on, X Factor. I, I, it was just Hulk I didn't read for, for whatever reason. Yeah, I've, I've always been a big Peter David fan. And it was a lot of fun to return to you know, sort of an older, younger, more piss and vinegary Peter David here in this, yeah. in this particular issue. I mean, we're going to jump in in one moment, but... There was a bit in here where you had to sort of do some mental gymnastics to make it all work together. I liked that. But it was fun. And I totally figured out a way in my head to make this this book match the other two issues. And so the other two, you know, the story of Future Perfect is the story of Maestro, which is, you know, far in the future, the Hulk is basically the dictator of dystopia, sort of the last vestiges of civilization after World War III. And... In the Maestro War and Pax and in World War M, it's about how that came to be. It's a prequel. It's about how, you know, Hulk shows up and Hercules is the original Maestro. He he deposes Hercules and then he has to fight off. That's the first miniseries. And he has to fight off Doom and Doom. Namor and yeah. he, the original Human Torch and Abomination in the second miniseries to sort of hold on to control, which he does in the, in the World War M miniseries. And that leads to this one, which you got to believe takes place you know, many, many, many years after World War M because, you know, he's well-established here as the ruler right. of everything. And, and people are older who you saw in the other miniseries, like That's uh, true. Toro and Rick Jones. There's no hint in this that the, that guy is Toro, though. No, sinister. no, not at all. Right, okay. And and I'm, again, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> I, I, I think it's really interesting because I never obviously read this the first time, so I read it in in chronological order. Yeah. And it didn't really suffer for me other than a slight tone change going from, you know, 90s style comic to, to modern 90s style comic. But I enjoyed both versions of that, so I didn't really have a problem with it. And I think um, the styles changed a little, but there's still a really consistent voice. Yeah. And also you get, you know, the magic of George Perez here. Well, page two. But page one is like an overhead shot of dystopia, so we're sort of zooming in on the... On the on the world. And then page two is this double page spread of like a bazaar and in dystopia where anything and everything, including people are for sale. And I just was like, fucking George Perez. Like that. I literally said it out loud when I, when I turned to this page, because it is so ridiculous, which is what George Perez was known for was these ridiculous double page spreads. I mean, how long did it take him to draw this? It it looks like, it looks like a mad magazine, but not funny, you know, like, It is, there are at least two points in this book that I can think of where I turned the page and came to a double page spread and I was like, wow, you know, one <laughs> yeah. of them is, is that one you're talking, as soon as you said it, you said a page two, I was like, I know what he's talking about. Like, I knew, <laughs> I remembered and that's, I don't remember things. And then the other one is when we see um, Rick Jones's like, yeah, his lair, his, yeah, I was going to say lair and I didn't feel right, but all of it, like it was just a ton of things in there that established where we are, and it is not a super comp. I mean, it's a good drawing, and there's a lot yeah. to it, but it's not like that other one that, you know, 
crazy mad magazine where's waldo kind of thing it's funny I'm, I'm zooming in on it and i didn't i didn't notice this the first time but you know this is the, the old days in the early 90s this was all drawn by hand on paper and yep uh the images don't match up in the middle you can see where it's sort of cut off oh yeah i do i didn't notice it the first time but like you know they're working off of like you know r- plates or whatever originals mm-hmm. and uh it just you know there was no digital back then, so it didn't it didn't hundred percent match up, and here it doesn't exactly. But I didn't even I didn't even notice that. But yeah, the no, if that wasn't for that one guy with the jacket, yeah, you wouldn't see it. That the, the, and the TV screens above him, but it doesn't really matter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I scroll and I'm zoomed in. You know what though? I mean, if if you want to talk about a page that immediately sets up what the world is and what it's like, oh for sure. There's a ton in here, not just the art, but the sort of story. Like, okay, they're selling female slaves. This has a very Conan Boris Vallejo yeah. <laughs> sort of uh, view of women uh, in it, in this this you know dystopian future. It is definitely that, I don't know what we'd call it now, but it's like this future retro kind of thing. It's like halfway medieval. Yeah, it's halfway, halfway barbarian, like era yeah. of halfway mixed with sci-fi. I mean... The maestro character here even is much, you know, like I said, t- time is clearly passed because he is much worse. He is, you know, he's an anti-hero in the first two miniseries. Like, he's clearly the bad guy, but he's not, like, totally bad. He's just, like, sort of distraught. Here, he's like, fuck it, I'm leaning into being evil. Mm-hmm. And they, they talk about how the he absorbed he absorbed the radiation from the World War Three, and it sort of mm-hmm. drove him mad. And that's yep. fine. And I also really liked about this book is that it drops you in, right? It's like in mm-hmm. media res. The, mo- the young Hulk from the, the quote-unquote present, the early 90s Hulk, he's already there. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation. He is just there in the future. And I don't remember, like I said, I wasn't reading Hulk at the time. I don't think this was tied in in any way to the regular book. I don't think he, I think it just this was just where it happened. Like he just, he is here. And then we see in flashbacks how Rick Jones' great-grandchildren get him with Doom's time machine. But like mm-hmm. we're just in the story as it starts and I liked that bit of it. Yeah, and I actually like that, you know, we, we the Peter David Hulk run. I don't know, it's 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 a lot of issues. It's Is like it 100 years. issues? Yeah, yeah, I mean like, like it's that. a ton. And I had heard of Maestro. Like it's one of like when it started I was like that sounds sort of familiar. Maybe I'd seen the image, but I didn't really know about it. But I like that this sits separate from that. Like you can get yeah. a taste of the thing. You can right. you can you can come in and you you can get some and like you know, this might be a, a, a way, you know, that some people might read this and then go on to read the rest of it, but you don't have to know any of that stuff. You don't have to know anything to read this. It's Nothing. a total side story from the, the run. I think it was totally... I'm looking at that double-page spread of Rick Jones's basement, and it's just, it's just a cornucopia of Marvel stuff from that time period. I love the wall yep. of Iron Man armors, and you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shrine to all the dead heroes, you know, all their weapons and their suits and things that are destroyed and broken and although right. doom's mask is well, i guess doom is dead at that point yeah you know we talked about george perez earlier in the year because he passed away this year tragically and we did our whole tribute to george perez earlier in the year with the book explode we did on judas contract on the teen titans run but uh this issue features like everything this this is like a ten not well not 10 years older george perez but you know maybe eight, maybe seven or eight years older george perez and you know, this is early '90s. Was look, he was a guy whose career spanned decades and decades and decades, and you could point mm-hmm. to any time in, in it and talk about him being a dominant artist. I mean, there was the late '90s with the Avengers. It was the early. There was the '80s with, with Titans. But I feel like, in many ways, the early '90s was sort of his heyday between Infinity Gauntlet and books like this. And uh, 
which is when he was put on, like he was when he was chosen as the guy to, to draw special comics, you know. Right. And so this is like him at the height of his power. And this is, I mean, you know, he. It's a cliche to say he crams it in. He crams in the panels. He crams in the, the detail. He crams in the backgrounds. He crams in characters. But he never, like we said before, with Judas Contract, it's never overwhelming, and it always makes in sense. in a bad way. Yeah, it's sometimes overwhelming in a good way. But right. you know, as you look through this, there's there's no shortcuts. And there's yeah. a couple of places where he he pulls back and keeps it simple, but uh, but it all, with to, to an effect. So look at um, page sixty three. It's actually where the Hulk gets his neck snapped. Mm, yeah. Um. You know, and that's a really unusual page. But he's lettered out the words. He's put it in there. You know. I, you know. At the time, I would have said John Byrne would have been my favorite artist. You know, and I think that there is something to be said about how much more elegant that is like mm-hmm. like john burns figures are just beautiful and he's a great storyteller or whatever but looking back now like sort of knowing everything i know about how to how to do comics i mean how do you not how do you not put george perez in like top five yeah it's like he took all of the elements out of the how to draw Marvel. he took everything that john buscema did and he took everything that that john ramita did and and, and neil adams and even has some of that like crazy, you know, early '90s stuff, you know, the overwrought stuff, and he just distilled it all into this. I mean, this is amazing. This is, and also, this is an afterthought in a way. Like, if you were to go through and we read it, and the stuff came out, like I couldn't have told you this was a thing that George Perez did. If I had to list his greatest accomplishments, sure, this is just one of the little things, right? And how how long has he been working at this point? Is he twenty years in? Is he? Yeah, I think you we know. Talk, yeah, we, we, yeah. There's no half-assing. Yeah. No, not at all. Like, like Darwin Cook, who everybody knows that we love. You know, his style changed to something simpler over time. Yes. And that's not, you know, a, a good or a bad. It was good for him, and the art had a different, you know, uh, feel to it. But a lot of people learned to be more economical. I feel like Perez never did that. <laughs> no. Just was like, no, no. I go, I go fifth gear, full speed all the time. <laughs> Perez took all the lines that they gave up, and he added them to his books. Yeah. <laughs> and look, the story is incredibly fun and interesting because you, what you essentially have here is a young man fighting his older, more cynical, evil self. Yeah. And so it's hard. To, and it, you, this is like Intelligent Hulk, not my favorite version of Hulk, but it's I think fine. it worked for this though. It would work for this if it was. You got to be able to have conversations. That's the whole the whole conversation thing. But like, you know. Old Man Hulk is like, you didn't see what I see. You didn't live through what I lived through. And then it spends a lot of time trying to convince younger Hulk to get on his side. And younger Hulk's like, I'm never going to become you. Like, it's a classic father-son mm-hmm. dynamic, but with, with the same person. And, uh, you know, it takes twists and turns you don't expect when, like you said, when Hulk gets his neck broken and and his convalescence happens in the, in the palace. And the Maestro uses that time to try to really work him psychologically. And fuck him up psychologically with with his harem girl that looks just like Betty, which is fucked up. It's fucked up, and it was interesting. You know, Hulk contemplates suicide because if he kills himself, will that kill Maestro? And then there's a the whole thing about so multiverses and timelines and Reed right. Richards' theories of physics, and was, it, it was good. So that was the point where I was thinking, I was like, well, I, I was getting there a little before the story did, but I was like, can he not kill him because he's <laughs> him, or does he remember? And then Maestro brings up that stuff. And I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And they're doing it. But there's also like a real good chance that he's lying. Right. Because he remembered what's happened. And it's very 
sort of psychologically manipulative and interesting. And, and, you know, you are left to make a judgment call that you can't make either. And so you're in the position of the, of the Hulk of, 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 I don't know how much banner is this young Hulk in this? I don't know. He doesn't seem to hate banner so much. Old Hulk hates banner and puny humans, (laughs) humans. He brings him up a lot, but I I really liked that. You know, that's sort of the relativity of the whole thing and, and space time and where, you know, how is this working? Where's it going? And you don't know who to trust. And, and, you know, a little part of you wants to think that Maestro isn't necessarily the worst guy, you know, and, and he's trying to convince Young. He's like, listen, these people, you know, they've taken everything from us. You know, they need me. So I take them. Then they end up killing themselves, you know. Right? Like... And, and you're really good. He's not wrong. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you kind of don't know what Hulk is going to do. And, you know, nothing really works out. You know, like Rick, Rick gets. <laughs> It doesn't end well for Rick. No. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I, I buzzed through this, and I was reading it. Like, sometimes when we have to read these, even if I enjoy them, I'm like, eh. But I, I, couldn't, I, could, I couldn't wait to find times to pick it up and sort of go Oh, the, the, I, the first issue was over before I knew it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was reading it, I'm reading it, I'm into it. Like, a, it's sort of that thing where you're, when you're really into a comic or a book, or it's, it's almost like the world fades out around you, and you're just you're totally focused on yep. this thing. and. All of a sudden, it was it was. I got to the end, and I was like, "Whoa, is that it?" And I t- tapped the screen to see how many pages. I was like, "Really? Like I've yeah. gone that many?" And I, w- I was just it just happened so quickly because I was really into the story. And then, you know, the second issue also was very good, and it was like much more psychological and mm-hmm. fun, and tons of great George Perez stuff in here. If I picked up a comic book today and it was littered with this many word balloons, I'd be like, "You people need to just calm down a little bit." <laughs> but I'd never noticed it for a second. Like, I, you know, I don't know the art sort of works it, but but you know, every word that's said is either interesting or fun. Or, I mean, if I had to describe this book, it's like just the right amount of silly serious. Like it's ridiculous, yeah. but it's also pretty melodramatic. But also, there's bits where you're like, "Oh, he." like Peter David is in on this joke. Like he knows that this is kind of ridiculous and you know, maybe this stuff with the harem girls doesn't age terribly well, but this was all part and parcel of sort of the sword and sorcery and fantasy kind of stuff that was, you know, was comic books and sci-fi at the time. It's just a bunch of red Sonia's walking around. Yeah. Who are only there to serve. There's piles of women behind Maestro at all times. I mean, literal piles. Like It's just, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know how that works, but it seems uncomfortable. Yeah, what I really like, yeah, yeah, you couldn't think about that for too long. What I really liked about uh, the trophy room, Rick Jones, was that it became really important to the story. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the maestro eventually finds his way in there because it's a secret base underground, and that's where Rick has his final stand. And and you know, he was an Avenger. He was an Avengers sidekick. He was the one, he was the one responsible for bringing the Avengers together. Rick Jones, mm-hmm. where's his statue? And so, why isn't he in the movies? Rick Jones is kind of the he's the key to the Marvel universe. Right, and he tries to use at least Cap's shield. He was also Captain America's psychic for He tries to use Cap's shield as a weapon, and and uh, that doesn't end up going well for him, and he ends up falling onto Wolverine's skeleton and gets stabbed and dies. But then, you know, there's a brutal fight with uh, with Hulk and um, Maestro, Maestro. Yeah. in which, you know, Cap's weapon, again, shield becomes a major factor in, in Maestro going down. I, I just love that final battle scene in the, in the, in the trophy room. The bit where Rick goes down, so if you're reading this digitally, it's page 88. Yeah. The sequence, it's four panels that sort of his his death as he gets hit, falls backwards, shatters the case. 
And then, you know, Maestro is like, oh, beautiful. That's rich. By the way, no one talks like that anymore in stories. They all used to talk like that then. It's great. That's rich. No one says that unironically <laughs> anymore. Um, you know, and you sort of see him from a distance and the skeleton, you can't quite make it out. And then they closed in, you know, uh, close in and you see what happened. You know, Wolverine got him from, from death and like he just points it out as irony. It's a really great sequence. Yeah. And then Hulk just, throws the shield almost yeah. through Maestro. He's like, the problem was Cap couldn't throw this hard enough at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can. And, you know, uses uses Silver Surfer's board as a shield. Like, it's like, he just uses all the pieces. Maestro tries to pick up Thor's hammer and it doesn't work. And we, we didn't even mention the wall of ashes that, like, they really fucked up wall of people's ashes. <laughs> like, what did, mm-hmm. did Rick Jones go around cremating everybody? Rick's place is fucked up. Like, it's a place <laughs> of honor. But like, if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like, "Dude, you have a problem." Did you notice that the wasp had a tiny little jar? I did not notice that. <laughs> like That's there was like fantastic. Betty, Betty, <laughs> Betty Banner, and, and Jean Grey, and it was like, "What the wasp?" It was a tiny jar. <laughs> but wouldn't she have gone back to? It doesn't matter. Well, uh, assuming she died in tiny form, but uh, he must have gone around, to, you know, cremating everyone. But then, you know, that's part of it too, where he gets thrown into the wall and he gets blinded by Betty's ashes, and that was, uh, you know, and then early in the story. There's a little throwaway line about the Hulk, about how the you know it, it would take being at ground zero of a multi-megaton blast to kill him, mm-hmm. theoretically, and that's what happens here is they trick him to the, you know with, with the Doom's time machine, and then in the ultimate bit of comic book irony, drop him right on top of the bomb that created him in the first place, and there's a nice little duel double-page spread where on the one side the Hulk is being created in those famous three panels, and the other side is. Maestro being obliterated in, in three similar panels. I thought that was a nice bit of comic irony to the end of it. Yeah. I mean, it was nice. And then, you know, again, Cap Shield. He puts Rick's ashes on Cap Shield and throws it into the sky as hard as he can. This is a great little Hulk story. I mean, it really was. And It's a great comic book. I feel like you weren't ever a big Hulk fan, but I feel like this is such a great no. Hulk story. Well, I think Hulk is one of those things where there's all sorts of different versions of Hulk. Yeah. And, you know, you put somebody good on it, and I think Peter David's probably best at it, so this might be a high bar. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't like Dumb Hulk because I don't. I don't know where it goes. I know that it's a metaphor for a thing mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily need metaphorized. Right. Um, this is a different kind of story. I'm sure it still makes Hulk people happy, but I don't think you have to be a Hulk person to enjoy it. I would say that if you have listened to us talking about any of those Maestro issues and you pick them up and enjoyed them, then you are doing yourself a real disservice. And, and if you're if you're skipping this one, I think you'll I think you'll enjoy the hell out of it. Also, and by the way, I mean not to take away from your which all of that is correct. I'm I'm flipping through this again, and I mean, there's a lot. You know, it, it gets real silly at times, but it gets dark. I'm looking at one of the dark scenes where it's, it's the one where Hulk wakes up from having his neck snapped, and there's the doppelganger harem girl on his bed, mm-hmm. and he can't move. He's been he's been sort of paralyzed, and she's like, "Don't worry, I'm gonna take care of everything." She starts taking off her clothes, and he's like, "Please don't. I don't I don't want this. Please stop." And then we see stop. Oh yeah, Hulk got sexually assaulted. And we see we see you know yelling stop. We see his words reverberating through the halls, and we see the next page. It's you know it's really reverberating through the entire. Like it was fucked up. Yes, it was. And there's a there is one other thing that I think that Peter David did. There was that which is interesting because you've got a slave girl who's assaulting a prisoner. Yeah. So I don't know who the bad guy is. It's Maestro. Maestro's the bad guy. Yeah, she's forced. At one point, he rides out. You know, on his weird beast. And he finds a little encampment, you know, of people who he's known since, you know, before he was in charge of everything. I wonder if that's in the other story. Anyway, uh, you know, they have to make their tribute, which in this case is his daughter. And it just 
gives you a little bit because you've got all these you know like scantily clad cl- slave girls all over the place and he did go ahead and just put in a little bit of like this is who this is this is where these people come from this is yeah. Yeah. you know the choice that they end up with it's not a lot but it's more than a lot of stories do yeah and then somebody at the end recognizes her which i thought was interesting one of the revolutionary guys mm-hmm and then he does this ridiculous thing where you think he's cornered, but he whips the bad guy with his hair. Was oh, it a woman? I can't tell. I thought it was a dude, and he has like long, like like braid thing in the back. Oh yeah, and he's maybe. Like, yeah. You think he's cornered? He's like, well, check this out, and he whips him with the back of his hair. I did think that. It's like, is there like did he did he tie metal beads to the end of his hair? Because otherwise, it would just be annoying. Yeah. And he's like, I knew it was worth lugging this thing around. And I was like, wow. Way <laughs> he to be yeah, it just it, it it had all the classic elements of this kind of barbarian sci-fi story that culminates in a giant battle that was really satisfying. It, it was structurally really strong. Yep, it was sound. It, it took you on an emotional roller coaster. It had big old Hulk action. The, you know, we always talk about Hulk being the strongest one there is, right? Hulk is Hulk is the end. Hulk should be the last man standing on the planet, but the only person that can stop a Hulk is a Hulk, and that's what you got here. And I like that, like, physically they were at an impasse, really. Because right. the whole time I was thinking, well, can one of the Hulk win? And then Hulk, young Hulk says, he's like, oh, I shouldn't have made him mad. Because the stronger, the, the matter Hulk is, the stronger he gets. And he kind of realizes it. It's like having to fight himself. And it's, they're constantly at a stalemate. Yeah. That's what the story is. And then he gets outthought, I guess, at some point, which is interesting. Which gives credence to the idea that this is not the same Hulk. Because if it was, the well, it was smart. Wouldn't... It was smart Hulk. That was you know there was many iterations of the Hulk in Peter David's run, right? But I'm saying Maestro would have remembered that he did it, so he would have known what was going right, to happen. Right, gives credence to the multiverse if he theory. had been yeah. the same person. Right, so right, exactly. Yeah, it's the one clue that you sort of have to what's going on because the rest of the time it's sort of shrouded in mystery. You're like, is he fucking with him? I think he's just fucking with him, but maybe he's not. Uh, it was right. very metaphysical. I thought, yeah, uh, you, you know, you just you're just constantly. You're second guessing everything as as the Hulk is, and and even it's it like if Maestro's putting up a show of confidence, and you're like, how much does he believe what he's saying, or you know, is he is he playing a game a shell game here? I really like that. And the thing is, I'm looking at the page count. So the yeah, it's like fifty. It's like fifty pages per per comic. Yeah. You don't have to have read the other Maestro books, War and Pax, and World War nope. M. Like you know, this came out in '92. I read it then. People, lots of people read it then. It was very popular. And enjoyed it. You can, this is a fully conformed, you know, its own story. But it did make it more rich having read the prequel, the new prequels, because even though at one point in the book it's like, it's a, I think it says like Hulk started dystopian, which we know from the prequels wasn't the truth. It was Hercules. It's sort of like, you know, what despots do is, right, they change the story. Right. They change the narrative. There's always been Hulk. There's been no, no one before him, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's just how you have to make it work in your head. But it made it more rich because you see where the journey started for Maestro and where it ended. Because he was not—he's not Maestro in that Warren Pax book starts. Right. He's Hulk, and then he becomes Maestro by the end. It also gave me context for this. I mean, you know, no matter—I, I, you know, if I had just picked up this hundred-page book, it would be great, and I would like it, you know, nonetheless. But it did prime that pump, so you know, I knew I was like, this everything that happens here is probably going to be great, you know, and it was. Yeah, but I guess it works the other way too. Yeah, I mean, you, you can totally get it on your own, but it does add more to it. It adds more, I think it adds a little more tragedy to it because you see that Maestro wasn't always this terrible. Yeah. He, was, he wasn't he was great before, but he wasn't like, mm-hmm. 
you know, piles of harem girls behind him terrible before. Now, this isn't the same world as Old Man Logan. No. no. Could be, because they describe everything outside of that city as the wasteland. I had also expected, I don't remember, who was like the group at the end of the first of, of the Maestro series, like the people who were hidden underground? Oh, no, those are characters from Peter David's okay. Hulk run, but I don't know who they are because I didn't read that run. But they're they're, they weren't this. involved in this because he killed them all. And there are no other Marvel folk in this other than Rick Jones and the memory. So as we yeah. get into the, the newer versions of it, like there's people around still. There's Doom and there's Namor. And, it's the last and vestiges of it, yeah. If you look on page 41, you'll see the, the different vials of people's ashes in the tiny wasp one. <laughs> um, there's Blob. Peter David's got a vial. George oh, Perez. That's nice. Uh, Jean Grey, the leader, Betty Banner. Oh, yeah. Look at that. They're very ornate. Uh, he's got a wasp in like a cat food can. <laughs> Everybody else has like a beautiful, you know. Well, waste not, want not. You know? Is that Barbara Eden next to Peter David? I think so. Oh. We know what he watched as a kid. Well, she's a genie. She's There's in a, a genie joke bottle. there. Yeah. Jean Grey, again? <laughs> and in fact, as you look at if you look at um, Rick's whole room in that one page we were talking about that double page spread, there's a poster on the wall. Uh, we're locking. We're looking at page twenty nine. Next to Wolverine's skeleton is a poster of the Phoenix, and it's like dead again. <laughs> like so, that's twice. Well, we were talking off show about how fucked up it was that the beast's hide was tacked to the wall next to his photograph. That is messed up. There's the red skull back there. This page. This page could keep us occupied for 10 minutes. Yeah. Sentinel head. Who is the green? Like, so I can, I can name all the helmets going across. It's Thor, Yellow Jacket, Black Knight, Crimson Dynamo, Magneto, the leader, Nova, and then Ant-Man, and then Ultron in the corner. But who's the green one? Isn't that Kang? No. I can picture the person. I can't pick, say the name. Okay. It's not Kang, right? Kang's, Kang's helmet is. Oh, is it Kang? It's Kang. Come on, man. I thought it was somebody else. I thought it was like a robot guy. You get the bottle of City of Candor back there. What's really funny is, you know, it's early 90s. And then he's so just you... got a couple of house plants. <laughs> well, you know, you got to spruce the place up. What's really funny is, you know, it is the early 90s. So on the wall next to all the Iron Man armors and then Doctor Strange in his cloak and all of his paraphernalia is a picture of Shatterstar and his sword, a character that no one has thought about <laughs> since 1996. Well, Rob Liefeld thinks about it every damn day. <laughs> Cyclops' visor just sit there next to the remote control. Sunspot? Is that who it is? The the Japanese character with the weird yeah. nose thing, the fish mm-hmm. face? I don't like that. I don't like that mask. Did he hire like a museum guy to do all these like exhibit-esque setups? Because there's like little explanatory yeah. nameplates. Captain America, and there's text underneath it, and the, you know, Captain Marvel, and there's US agents fucked up shield. Like, he didn't just pack these in the wall. He like, he's, he's going full yeah. out. He hung stuff. I mean, I... He must have brought in contractors. Right. But this, huh. this is one of those Grant Morrison, don't worry if the Batmobile runs out of gas things. Right. Who, may, who services done. it? Yeah. Yeah. Hawkeye's bow and arrows. He's, he's everything. His quiver's there. Real Hawkeye. Yeah. Clint Barton. It, it just, it's a good, I mean, that first double page spread is, is bonkers and crazy, and you can look at it for hours, but this one is more like fun to look at, because it's just like, oh, look at that. There's Dr. Octopus's arms. I feel like, a lot of people who are a bit younger than us, a lot of people who came who listened to our show like for years and when they sort of came on were people who uh, had come up during the animated X-Men time. Yeah. And I think that those people 
are going to be safe to enjoy this in the way that you would if you had read any of the stuff at the time. And I wonder how much this appeals to somebody who like maybe has been reading since 2000. Right. You know what I mean? There is always an element of you and I looking back at stuff that feels like it was of a different time, but is also really good, you know, and this Mm -hmm. is that, but I always wonder how much people can appreciate this. Uh, if you sort of weren't a little bit part of it, but I feel like this is a really good test case for that. Yeah. I think it's a solid comic book work and the art is undeniable. But then again, you weren't reading back then. You know, you were reading before this and you were reading after this, but you weren't reading at this time. Yeah. But, you know, like at that point, we would buy, you know, we would get back issues. And so you'd Mm -hmm. get, you'd you'd always get a smattering of stuff that came earlier because you were constantly like, well, what's this? And, you know, when I was a kid, that era thing didn't matter. You know, like it's just, what what does the the cover look like? Is this a character I like? I'm trying to think like at that point in the early, you know, late 80s, early 90s, like I knew some artists, but I did not care about who wrote anything. Mm. Like I wouldn't have looked for Peter David. All I knew was that like the guy who wrote Amazing Spider-Man was David Michelini, but I didn't know who that was. I think I probably knew who Chris Claremont was because one of the first trades I had was the Phoenix book. But I mean, at this point, I was definitely going weekly. So I was definitely slightly more in than you were at that that point. So I knew names, not to the extent I certainly wouldn't know them now, but you know, I looked at who was doing the art and who was doing the writing and I would keep an eye on that. Yeah. This is sort of the last gasp of the gosh era, you know, before it gets to be like Grant Morrison on JLA, which is sort of, you know, kind of goshy still too, but then, you know, you get into the the late nineties or Marvel Knights happens and things get serious and decompressed and it's a different feel still great comics but a different feel totally different and this is sort of the last start of the last bit of that era these are people who i don't know that that 90s basically up to 2000 those are people who grew up on 60s silver age core marvel stuff Mm -hmm. and then i think that as you get to that next class who are people who are our age, maybe a little older, your Bendis's and Brubaker's, like they read the 70s stuff. Right. And then all the other influences that came in at that time. In the early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Just interesting. I love the, the sort of history, how you, the, you know, the anthropology of how you come up with these different eras in comics. And it's fascinating. So at this point, Peter David is 37 years old. So he's like not prime. Young. prime. I mean, not, not, you know, not, not, not a kid, new. but he's prime. He's right. still primed so he would have been yeah he'd have been like he would have been a kid when the marvel happened in the 60s right. he was like 10 years old when the prime jack and stan years i mean that's and that's the stuff and you yeah. can see this is a guy and he grew up and he, and he wrote sci-fi novels as well he oh his whole career is a star trek crows i love that he thinks like a novelist you know yeah. at a time when you kind of couldn't do that and that's probably why his run stood out you know is that he really was telling a complete story uh, but doing it issue by issue. And Perez was 39. Damn. Let me do this. That's still impressive. Yeah. So, you know, that's like sort of prime. I know those are two guys at the, at the very like peak of their, their powers. Right. Michael Jordan in 1994. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad that... I'm really glad. The Maestro books happened and it made us, you know, love that story i'm certainly not glad that george perez passed but i'm I'm glad that we were able to really look at his work from a new perspective this year and i'm glad that because of the maestro love we read this because you know you've never read it i, I don't think i've read it probably since 1993 yeah you know it's just 
with so many books out there, not a lot of time for rereading. And I'm glad we were able to do this with this book because it was a lot of fun. It was, yeah, it was not a, a not a hassle at all. You should get it however you can get it digitally or yeah, we we um, both down got it on Comicsology. So like, I don't, I don't know if it's on Marvel Unlimited or not, but if you listen to this show, and not read it. First of all, congratulations. Second of all, <laughs> it sounds like fun to you. I recommend it. I really do. Yep. I was even thinking at some point. I was like, if this came out now, new, it great. would be off tone, but it wouldn't be totally out there. Right. You know, like we'd be like, oh, check out this crazy throwback book that's super fun you know what i mean like it's not like reading stan's work at all mm-hmm. you know or stuff from the 70s or whatever I mean, there's characters who talk out loud and stuff but not as much as you got back then Whew. all right so yeah so the maestro series are on marvel unlimited the two we talked about war impacts world war m and then hulk future perfect is also on marvel unlimited so i know a lot of our listeners are subscribers so that's that um that was it a tool what is it Service, that service. <laughs> Check it out. I don't know. The longer we talk, the longer my air conditioner's off, and the more my brain is cooking. Not in the way you want it, though. No, not at all. I'm not baked in the right way at all. His brain is cooking, you know, <laughs> but not like that. He means no. being cooked. Or either way, yeah. No, I mean, like, melting out of my ears. Yes. So, it's on Comicsology. It's on Marvel Unlimited. It's a super fun read. If you did read it in the past and haven't read it in a while, I recommend checking it out again. I, read, so, I recommend those original miniseries that we talked about. Those are super fun. So anyway, let's do a ratings on, on um, I, I Hulk do Future and Perfect. I do have to follow up on a critical point. Okay. Kang's helmet is pink. That, right, helmet, that helmet is, in all respects, Kang's helmet. It's green, though. I don't know if that's an error or it's another helmet, but I don't clue. know who else it would be. It's a clue. Yeah. I want to give everyone credit here. So... Peter David wrote it, George Perez drew it, Tom Smith colored it, which means Perez also inked it, and Joe Rosen lettered Jesus. it. And this wasn't recolored, because this does have some no, texture no. to it. No, this is no. not recolored. I can't imagine they spend the money on that. God, thank, <laughs> thank, thankfully. <laughs> That's the best part about it's too expensive to have somebody recolor something so they can usually just keep the old color. Just keep it. Why? I asked my friend the other day, I said, uh, you have the Sandman absolutes and he goes they were recolored and i was like say no more whoa really yeah i think so (sighs) fuck all right ratings out of five five it's a five does it accomplish what it set out to do could it have done it any better and it's a no right yeah that's the way i would look at it is it dark Knight returns is it watchmen no, but in this genre, in the Peter David world, perfect. In the story it set out to be, it is a five-star book. Right, exactly. All right. That's your Booksplode review for the month. We have, I think, two more the rest of the year. I know, I know we joked about Spider-Man Origin a couple of shows ago. I don't know if that's going to happen because it's really not available anywhere. Oh, that is a problem. I don't want to pay 90 bucks for a trade, just <laughs> to be honest with you, all of you at home. <laughs> I think we talked about what the next one's going to be, but we haven't confirmed it. So once we do that, we'll let you know on our Pick of the Week show. But um, as always, we have our Pick of the Week show. It comes out every Sunday where Josh and I and special guests occasionally talk about the week's comics. Josh has his Talksplode interview show, which he interviews a creator. Last month was Rainbow Rowell. That's our sister show to this one, the alternate months. And we have our Media Splode show, which is our monthly non-comics media show. Lots of shows. They were almost all unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com. Thanks for being a patron. 
And thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Connor. That makes me Josh. See you later. Just, just.